Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, everyone. This is Jennifer Watley Maxell, and I am joined today with my colleagues Adam Mixon, Adam Borneman, Ryan Bonfilio, and Mark Ramsey. And we are talking about risking faithfully, which I, for one, think is so incredibly important right now in this moment. When we think about scripture, when we think about Jesus, when we think about disciples, we see examples of risk in action. Everything about the way they interacted with each other and the culture and their times, in my opinion, can be categorized as risk-taking. And yet it seems that so many of us as faith leaders seem to be very risk-averse in these days, that we um, have a tendency to play it safe and I feel like that's been very problematic, especially when we see where we are during this tumultuous time. When we look at the pandemic and just the human humanitarian response, what should be automatic for the church mm-hmm. has really kind of been taken over by others. When we look at who people consider to be leaders at this time, faith communities are a lot of times not mentioned unless the people who are leading those communities are involved in other arenas, such as a pastor who's also a doctor or a pastor who's also a politician. So I think this idea of taking risk and risking faithfully is one that we really need to explore in depth today. Well, I love this topic, Jennifer, because the idea of risk is at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus puts it this way, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it. That is a huge risk. And Jesus is boiling down the essence of discipleship to this idea of risk, being willing to risk their lives to follow Jesus. So that's at the heart of who we are. To follow Jesus is a risk. To name that we are sinful is a risk to our ego. It's a risk to our personal personas. Everything that the gospel calls us to involves risk. And yet, not all risks are faithful risks, right? We can take unfaithful risks. We can take dangerous risks. I talk about this all the time. I have a six-year-old son. Like, there are risks of crossing the street and not looking both ways. So that's not a faithful risk. So we got to drill back to what is a faithful risk and how is that an element and an aspect of formation as disciples of Christ. So when I think about faithful risk, I think about Martin Luther King, this quote, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk position, prestige, even his life for the welfare of others. In dangerous valleys and hazardous pathways, he will lift some bruised and beaten brother to a higher and more noble life. So when I think about faithful risk, I think about values, that we hold dear to us as followers of Jesus. And the other thing I really, that really drew me to this line from King this week was the fact that we are in a moment where there is challenge and there is controversy. And that's precisely the moment when we are called to risk position, prestige, and even our lives. This is very, one, counterintuitive, but also understandably very hard uh, because we're all so stretched thin. And yet, 
those who have gone before us, including Jesus himself, have pointed to these moments as precisely the moments where we need to discern and navigate risk faithfully. It's even more counterintuitive now, I think, given what the pandemic year has done to us and done to so many people being strained to the breaking point. The counterintuitive nature, it seems like Mount Everest now, because it's like everyone's trying to consolidate everything. Everyone's trying to kind of pack it in and just stay in a clench, both individuals and families and churches, and hope that nothing gets worse. I don't see that call reflected in Scripture, just make sure nothing gets worse. But unfortunately, and I think understandably, that's where we are. Most churches, I think, have a good spirit about them in which they think, oh, sure, we'll risk, but it'll pay off. It'll be fine. So I do think we also need to pair risk with what's our tolerance for failure and what do we do when we fail. I would like to go back to this idea, again, of risking faithfully and what defines faithful risk. I think, Adam, your quote from King kind of spoke to it in the sense that to risk faithfully requires that one be motivated by love, by love for God and love for one's neighbor. And if that is not the motivation, then any of the works that follow are effectively dead. They are not faithful works, which um, seems to me to be an easy filter for our actions, whether it's it personally or in a more public way, if it's not motivated by love. There were a lot of people a couple of weeks ago willing to take risk in, you know, assaulting our capital. They took major risk, some of them carrying Christian symbols and flags, but they were not faithful. They were not faithful because they were not motivated by love. A faith that expresses itself in honor prefers others in a very practical way. That's the hinge. I think it's less difficult than what we would imagine sometimes, but in some ways, easier said than done, right? Right? It's difficult. And I'm really sensitive to what Mark was saying about people being exhausted. And all of us want to draw a line and be like, yo, this is enough, Well, no, it's not. (laughs) We've lifted the quote, you know, several times over several podcasts that the antidote to exhaustion isn't rest, but it's wholeheartedness. And so when I look at this idea of wholeheartedness and to your point, Adam, in raising Martin Luther King Jr., so many people will identify with Martin Luther King Jr., the dreamer, and yet they don't even acknowledge Martin Luther King Jr., the man who was murdered. He was assassinated because he was seen as a very divisive person because he was speaking a truth that our society at that time was not ready to hear. And so when we talk about risk, I think we have to be really uh, focused on one that, yes, it has to be motivated by love, but a love that seeks wholeheartedness a love that seeks that we are in unity with Christ, that we are in unity with the gospel that we preach, that it's not just an emotional love or a love that is comforting, that it is the love that upsets. It is the love that a parent shows a child when a child steps out of line. And as much as you love that child and as much as you want to gift that child and be kind to that child, you have to, have to, have to discipline that child in order for that child to be safe and in order for that child to grow up. And so I think that type of risk and that type of love that we don't often see played out. 
You know, we're surrounded by these counterfeit types of love that allow us to kind of stay messy and that allow us to be loved, you know, even though we're a mess, it's a dysfunctional type of love that we're surrounded with. And that's not what we're talking about. And so I think this whole idea of wholeheartedness, Katie Cannon said it so well, doing the work our souls must have, Mm. that our souls are oriented toward Christ. Our souls are oriented towards the justice of Jesus. Our souls are oriented towards that culture changing, upsetting status quo, upsetting love that, that Christ and the disciples and Martin Luther King Jr. all exemplified. Thanks, Jen. I think that's really important. I'm aware that all that you just said, particularly orienting our souls, that comes with no guarantees except the presence of God. Mm-hmm. When I was a parish pastor and would do something like premarital counseling, you know, you ask couples who are about to be married about all these things, and you say, What's, I would ask them, you know, what's your thought for the next 10 years? And I swear, half the couples I talked to pulled out a spreadsheet and said, Well, in year one, we're going to do this, and year three, we're going to do this, and year five, and, and a career, and children, and everything. And, you know, I, I tried to be as gentle as I could, but I'm like, let me tell you, life's going to get in the way of this really quick because there are no guarantees. Similarly, and I know pastors and board members right now are struggling with how to plan coming out of this last year into this current year, but planning to me has to take a backseat to this attention to the soul and understanding that if we're going to actually do this, if we're going to risk faithfully, the only guarantee we have is the abiding presence of God. And anytime we try to build up storehouses beyond the abiding presence of God, we're in deep, deep trouble and just bound to be disappointed. That word wholehearted is haunting because it demands of us a constant examination of principle. The sadness of this moment is that what is being revealed in many of our circles is our lack of principle. We have for a very long time made deals with the devil because it allowed for particular immediate success. And it cost us bits of our soul, right? But the time now is demanding of us a more deliberate return to principle that we just refuse to transgress. And again, I don't come from a Christian upbringing growing up in that institution, but my understanding of love and justice is so clear that when we start to pervert it with little compromises, before you know it, we have reasoned ourselves into a type of disobedience that is irreconcilable to the truth of who God is and what his will is. And to come back to that, to be people of principle. It's interesting. And I imagine for most people listening right now, this is also the case that when we hear the word risk, we immediately think of what is the thing I need to do that is going to be risky, that is going to cost something. I'm convinced that an equally important question is, what is the risk of not acting? What is the risk of not saying the thing that needs to be said? That, to me, is often a more haunting question. Because, Adam, to your point about principle and our own integrity and the values that we cherish, the question of what is the risk of me not acting out of that integrity and out of faithfulness is very haunting to me. So sometimes I think we can find the faith to act when we start asking ourselves, what is the risk 
of not acting. One of the things that I would also say is, you know, back to what you were saying, Mark, about how we as faith leaders and congregations do this work. I think part of it is to build certain tolerances. And I think one is to build a tolerance for failure so that failure is not something that we need to be ashamed of or that we need to run away from. If you really look at it, probably in Jesus's day, they probably looked at his earthly ministry as a big, huge failure because what they were expecting, what they wanted, they had not received in his lifetime. And that when you look at the disciples and what they gave up and the lives that they lived, that probably to those around them, they looked like failures because they risked so much and they did not get returns on that risk. And so I think part of it is our willingness to really look and say, okay, we need to accept the fact that we're going to do something that is going to be risky and we might fail. We probably would fail, but if we fail closer to Jesus, If we fail in the direction of Jesus, if we fail upward, then that's a failure we can take. I think the other tolerance we need to look at is the tolerance for experimentation, Mm -hmm. to be able to go into something not anticipating what the outcome is going to be, maybe having an idea of what we'd like to see, but being okay if we don't see it. And I think the third one is... And this is a weird way to say it, but almost like a tolerance for epiphany, that we need to reclaim the idea of being surprised and having new revelation and seeing something new and hearing something new and learning something new that God is not done creating and that there is more out there than we know that what we've seen in the past as great as it might have been, or we thought, or we perceived it to have been, that God has so much more and we need to be looking for that. And all of that requires that we become more comfortable with risk. Yeah, yeah I, I, I got an email this morning, which I'm sure you they fill your inboxes too. Five ways to increase your first time visitor count or six good practices in getting people back into your church. This is the mindset that we need to completely smash into a million pieces. It has nothing to do with following faithfully. It has nothing to do with wholeheartedness. It has nothing to do with attending our soul. It turns church work into this mechanical thing that if we just tighten all the bolts and the machine will run well. Instead of saying, we're going to throw ourselves into this in all the ways we're talking about. I would like to ask a question of all of us because we all have experience in congregations. This is great for us to say this. What would be our best advice to pastors? And Jennifer, I think you opened the door with experimentation. Mm -hmm. I love that word when I was leading congregations. We're going to do this experiment. It may last six years, but it's just an experiment. What's a way to get into risk that congregations can actually accept? What have you done that worked? Well, one of the things that we've been talking about, and it goes back to somebody referred to the scripture about our willingness to lose our lives. And one of the things that we're starting to talk about in our church is we have to have a willingness to lose our church. Hmm. That if Jesus has called us to give up our lives to follow Jesus, then surely we have to be willing to lose our church as we know it in order to follow Jesus, which may mean that, you know, some churches might actually close, but some churches might close 
to where they've been and what they've been doing as communities and the call has changed. And that's something that I think is scary. But what we found is the more that we have named it and said it and put out there, it's so freeing because it releases us from the bonds of who we thought we were and what we thought we were supposed to be doing and really allows us to kind of accept a new reality based on the fact that, you know what, hey, if we perish, we perish, but we're going to go ahead and follow Jesus into whatever this next season is. I think the first thing I would say is to get a coach and that my rates are really good. (laughs) But actually, you know, I would say that do not do this alone. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we've learned over the years with the cohorts and other peer learning opportunities that we facilitate is that it enables risk-taking in really healthy ways. People feel like they're not alone. People feel like they can take a risk and have a safety net relationally and in terms of resources and other forms of support. So to take risk alone, I don't think is the most faithful way to do it. Find people, find a community that wants to risk with you faithfully. And I would say with that, don't assume everybody in your congregation is stuck and unwilling to risk. Mm -hmm. People are experiencing risk in their own personal lives and in their family lives. Sometimes that's submerged, but it's there. Expect and nurture partners within your congregation. Yeah, I tend to really receive that, the not going alone, realizing that there are others, that you will eventually find your tribe, even if they're not immediately visible to you. And then also, I mean, just because of the environment that I serve in, there has to be a type of fearlessness. And I don't mean that in an absence of fear, but kind of a stubbornness that's going to stand there anyhow. Um, Mark and Adam, y'all have walked through my sanctuary and seen the bullet holes in the walls. Mm -hmm. We had opportunity years ago to leave that environment for a place that was safer. The congregation that I serve determined to stay there. Because on the one hand, there was a consideration on, man, what's it going to cost us to stay? But then there was also this idea of what's it going to cost the community if we leave? I think in a lot of churches I've been in, we associate risk with rapid and radical change. And rapid and radical change does require some risk. But in that, we need to remember that relationships are the capital that enable risk to flourish. So we need to have those relationships in place, but also as we pivot away from old ways of being in the church, we need to find ways to liturgically mourn what we're turning away from. Uh, There is real loss in embracing new things, but we need to mark that for people. We need to honor where we've been, even as we sharply turn to something new into the future. So for me, that risk is always looking backward and looking forward at the same time. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.